Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are just as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They're milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Betches Media presents Donald Trump was a, a stain on our country. I am someone's daughter. Congratulations, Mr. President. The Betches Sup Podcast. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, Sammy and I are going to react to a few big headlines from the weekend, including the uh, American Catholic bishop shading Joe Biden because of his abortion stance. Then I'm going to chat with Amani Gandhi. She's a legal expert and Supreme Court watcher who we promised we would be back with to break down last week's big SCOTUS decisions. And we even got some more tomorrow that we might uh, we might ask her about. But first, a headline from this morning, Sammy, is that the Olympics in Tokyo announced that local fans will be welcome up to a 10,000 or I think half of a venue's capacity, but they cannot cheer and they must be masked. You know, I that's probably like, a, this is one of the most sensible health interventions I've actually heard. Lately. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been working it's in California. In <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think that, that Japanese people are not thrilled because the vaccination rates are not excellent. And so uh, they, it does say local fans, but uh, 10,000 people in one place is bad, whether they're <laughs> No matter where they are right now, 10,000 people in a confined space when people that live in that place are worried. Uh, you could argue that 10,000 people from the Upper West Side would be more safe unmasked. That's true. Right, you know, for just sure. given the vaccination rates up here, we're quite high. You could definitely argue that. So, Sammy, what is your favorite Olympic sport to watch? Do you get invested in the Summer Olympics? Um, so, so, yeah. Yeah, I like to obviously gymnastics, obviously, but um, I also love in the winter the skiing and like the tricks they do while they ski and then mm -hmm. the ice skating, of course. Oh, exactly. Isn't that it's yeah. so f interesting because the Olympics are a time when like you don't really like women's sports are what most people are watching. I mean, I know it's split pretty evenly, but it is a time like when you don't it's just amazing when it's like individual sports like tennis and gymnastics. There is, for some reason, people get are able to get more invested in women's sports. I wonder what that is. Because people are afraid of women in numbers. Probably. <laughs> I, just started, I just started the um, the last, the most recent season of The Handmaid's Tale so I could binge it all. And I'm feeling very uh, empowered and ragey. <laughs> so I, I, I checked out of The Handmaid's Tale, got a little too real for me. But um, I did hear that the finale was was great and oh, worth really? watching. So you uh, are going to have a nice journey there. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I'm excited for the Olympics. I like swimming, although I don't know why, because literally it's just like it's true. They're swimming. Um, yeah. Although there is. OK, I'm very late to the game. But this woman, Shakari Richardson and her mm -hmm. hair. I mean, it's really yeah. cool. She's um, so fucking fat. Yeah, she I'll, I'll, I'll tune in for her. That, I will absolutely tune in. If that was just watching her. I was like starting to feel patriotism. I was like, am I a, 
is this what being a Republican feels like? Like I'm proud of something my country made. Yeah, she is incredible. So, I mean, Handmaid's Tale seems like a perfect pivot because for today's main story, we're going to talk about uh, the Catholic Church and its stance towards Joe Biden. More specifically, actually, just the uh, American leading bishop stance towards Joe Biden. So last week, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, which is the American arm of the Roman Catholic Church, voted to pursue creating guidance that would recommend President Joe Biden be denied from receiving Holy Communion. So Joe Biden is the nation's second Catholic president after JFK, but he's probably like the most visibly religious since Jimmy Carter in the sense that he goes to mass all the time and has been a dedicated Catholic his whole life. When I read that, I would it made me remember that like, oh yeah, George Bush, I think was or W was kind of a born again Christian, but he didn't really talk about it that much. And it wasn't, he wasn't like a, he wasn't a Catholic. So no, the, not so a Catholic. I, yeah. So I think that the Catholic church is only relevant. And I remember this is like something that people are actually concerned about with JFK becoming president totally. because the Catholic church is, I think like more active, I guess, in the lives of its, you know, mm-hmm. congregationists and the and the things that they do more so than I think like the Protestant church structure does. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that's why it's like a thing because yeah. they can deny him communion. Whereas like, I don't know if that type of thing, I can't really see that happening in the equivalent that, yeah. of that happening somewhere else in another yeah. religion. I don't think that would be the case against the main case against a Jewish president. <laughs> We're pretty secular on the whole. (laughs) They they find plenty of other things. Oh, dear. When that day comes when a Jew is running for president, like as the the nominee is going to be a fascinating time. You know what I bet that conversation will be? They'll probably be like a half Jew. And then Mm -hmm. it'll be like, are they really Jewish? It will. Yes. We're going to talk about moms and dads and bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. They'll be infighting. Oh, oi, oi, oi. It's going to be a thing. Yes, there will be very good books written about it. Predicting the future here. (laughs) Right, exactly. So he is like Joe Biden is a Catholic Catholic. He's not a Catholic for the cameras. Like he has said before, he considered the priesthood multiple times. He goes to mass even when he is on vacation and when he's doing foreign trips. Like it, it is a big part of his life. And I think it's actually because of this that conservative Catholics are likely moving to take this step. Conservative bishops say that having a president who claims to be a a devoted Catholic, but also proudly supports abortion rights, has alarmed and confused their congregants. My sense is they just don't think Biden should be seen taking communion or have all the privileges of being Catholic if he's not going to advance the church's teachings on abortion, which they consider to be a moral evil. And, And Forgive me if I use they too too generally because I know like every religious group there's a lot of variation with the Catholics. In fact, Catholics have a very are historically Democrats. I think, and fifty five percent of them do want to legalize abortion. So I think in this case we're just talking about the bishops. It is a unique. It, I mean, especially because which we'll get to the Vatican doesn't even agree with right. this. So how did this come about? Last week they had a yearly meeting of all of the American bishops and they voted overwhelmingly to draft a formal statement on this. I think it was like two-thirds of them. So the statement would would allow individual bishops to prevent Catholic politicians who disagree with the church doctrine about abortion from receiving communion. So that statement won't say President Joe Biden can't get communion. It would be more general and this body also like can't all vote to decide that he can't have communion anymore, but it would basically allow individual local bishops to do that. But I don't know. I saw that and I thought it doesn't seem like Biden would have a hard time finding a friendly bishop to offer him communion. Like, I don't think the guidance would be like, you may not give Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. the communion. 
No, no, no. I especially if the Vatican's not behind it, and because I mean, I feel like you need them That's to be true. like, okay, we're doing this. <laughs> but also, like, I'm sure his comms team will look ahead and make sure that any any advanced team will handle that masses yeah. that he goes to that are not his home mass <laughs> that. The the priest will be okay with giving him communion. Although, could you imagine the scandal? Like, I could see some sort of not Project Veritas Catholic edition, like pretending like they're going to give it to him, but then they don't to create a <gasps> spectacle. Like, and then, oh. oh my god, that would be so sad. I'm oh, just running so wild sad. this this morning. This morning. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like we said, this isn't what uh, the Vatican has advised. I mean, Pope Francis has not said address this directly, but he has a friendly relationship with Joe Biden. They worked together in 2008. He has generally been more friendly towards like social justice and advancing what, he's what a cool they vote. Yeah, he's a he's a cool he's a cool pope in in, in some go. ways. Exactly, as some as some ways. So last month, his like top official basically warned U.S. bishops, "Don't do this. It will do more harm than good." They knew there's been tension since Biden was inaugurated when the president of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops basically said, "We're going to create this group to decide what to do here." And they said uh, on Biden's inauguration day that they were worried that he would advance moral evils, especially quote in the areas of abortion and contraception marriage and gender we have now entered the hypocrisy part of the conversation mm. <laughs> which is just i mean just today i believe parents are going to start getting checks for their child for their child tax credit which is going to cut child poverty by 50 percent but i mean you could literally go on for hours and hours about all of the moral evils that conservative that that like donald trump just perpetrated yeah i mean Technically, Donald Trump is a Protestant, but doesn't matter regardless. <laughs> um, you didn't hear anyone, you know, really coming for him. Yeah, but conservative regardless. Catholics voted for him because they're they're single issue voters. On exactly. Abortion. Yeah. Okay. If you need any further indication of how like organized religion is really at this point functions just to preserve a patriarchal political body essentially like this is it because this is clearly such a political move like i wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort like why would they do this if not to create a spectacle and rile people up against the president i wouldn't be surprised if there's like some money involved or some at the very least some sort of like yeah strategic move behind this like i don't think they were just like let's uh, let's uh, condemn the first American president who's like given a real shit about religion <laughs> in his actual actual life in a long time um, at a time when people Americans are generally becoming irreligious exactly. or atheist or whatever it is or just even if they do believe in something or or they're they're religion that they were born with they are not joining congregations and churches so like why would they do something like this like my feeling is that it is completely politically driven and just betrays sort of what role they play i know it's always when i'm sort of reading stories like this and trying to process them and my mind is processing it and then i'm like bitch we're supposed to have separation of church and state why am i even talking about this like why is this even a thing and like technically it is separate but it's just insane that this group like it made me it's think never that, really been separate no it hasn't it's always been a political conversation the president's religiousness irreligiousness 
you know, right. there that's always a conversation because that's politics. They'll come up with any any anything they can use. Yeah. To make Joe Biden seem like a bad guy, even though he's like clearly by all accounts a great guy. I know. Right. I mean, I feel like that's what frustrates them the most. It's like they have nothing on him. Like he's a delightful. He's a he's a wonderful steward of Catholicism. I bet God loves Joe Biden. But God loves Joe Biden. Joe Biden. God is like waiting for the day that Joe the Biden finally gates. gets up there at the pearly gates. Poor Joe Biden. You don't want that. We can't speak. <laughs> I know. Champ's waiting for him now. He's got oh. so many people waiting for him. But God will keep him here. I get. Oh my God! What is this fucking podcast? I don't know. Why are we talking? <laughs> it's funny. Imagine somebody just tunes in, and I'm like, "The Lord has given us Joe, Joe Biden." Biden. <laughs> but like you said, I mean, many religions are experiencing lapses among adherents, particularly Catholicism. One of the main priorities of this meeting was to address declining mass attendance and waning significance of the sacrament in terms of how the Catholics view it. Only a third of them believe that communion bread and wine literally becomes the body and blood of Christ during mass. So presumably what they want is more people visibly uh, showing that that is what they believe and that's why it has meaning to them. So it seems bizarre (laughs) that their solution to that would be to uh, alienate the Catholic president. So this to me doesn't seem like a good way to get lapsed Catholic back. The decision immediately drew criticism from 60 Catholic Democrats in Congress. Nancy Pelosi is also a um, very devout Catholic and talks about it a lot and gets very offended when people suggest that her politics in any way do not agree with her religious background. About 56% of U.S. Catholics support legalized abortion. I was actually surprised it was that high, and I think that speaks to how many American Catholics just don't are letting the church influence their, their political beliefs less and less. Um, and asked about the bishop's decision at a vaccination event on Friday. Biden, Biden's not pressed. He said it's a private matter, and I don't think that's going to happen. And as we said, I think he'll he be won't have a hard time. We'll take care of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's completely. It doesn't really make sense, but I think that like at a time where we're seeing fewer people overall embrace any sort of religion and it like not mattering like those religious communities are shrinking and their relevance to like the mainstream is shrinking so i think that while we're like oh well obviously you should try to reach out to people who are high profile catholics who are into being catholics you know like the president right (laughs) like we're like oh that seems obvious well they're like well he doesn't agree with like our most hardcore beliefs and we only want people who do so i don't know that seems fundamentally incompatible because i don't think all these people are going to stop supporting legalized abortion like that seems it seems more likely that they would stop supporting the church exactly which is why this is very confusing to me I think unless i mean it's interesting because we know factually that americans are overall getting less religious in terms of like attending services and stuff but it as like the religious communities are getting smaller they're still having an outsized influence on especially conservative politics like i can only imagine this has to be animated by the american bishops i mean for the pope to to say please this isn't necessary for catholic the literal pope isn't he second to actual god for like say, please don't do this. I mean, the only inference is that it's a political. So maybe what they want to do is like activate the people that they still have, maybe, yeah, to donate to them. I'm sure they take donations. I mean, the bishops are expected to vote on this statement in November, which would be just in time for midterm elections. My guess is that it's more of like a high profile donor who's like, Mm. 
or not even like they don't need to be like here's the money so that you can stop doing communion for joe like i think it's more like we have this relationship we give 50 million dollars to the american Mm -hmm. catholic bishops every year and this guy is like you know obviously maybe he's a hardcore he's anti-biden whatever he is Mm -hmm. And it becomes like a conversation about how they're going to handle this new American president that they have some leverage over. But I don't know. I don't think that this is going to be an effective way to stop the exodus to the astrology community, especially among like younger (laughs) Americans. I know. I mean, they should really just watch out for everybody asking what time Joe Biden was born because he's going to get curious and uh, he's maybe going to leave. It's just crazy to me. Church attendance is down and yeah church attendance is down and co-star applications are up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i just wonder at this bishop's meeting like if they disagree with the pope like when they do the joke like is the pope catholic they were like i don't know he disagrees <laughs> with joe Biden getting communion so maybe he's not maybe he's not they're gonna excommunicate right. the pope this comes as state legislators have introduced more than 500 abortion restrictions over the past five months we know the supreme court is going to take up a case such a challenge to roe and six of the court's nine justices are catholic five of whom were appointed by republicans so i think there's also a sort of like planting of like okay remember we're going to start getting ragey about this soon yeah totally it's also very interesting that all six of the cons- I didn't really I didn't even know that um, are Catholic. I don't think all six of them are. I think that oh yeah, just six of them are Catholic. Wow, that's mm-hmm. a high percentage. Yeah, but obviously we know that uh, that not all of them. Some of them are the courts that vote with the more liberal causes. Right. But still, I mean, it does speak to it's part of the longer conversation about how the perception that Catholicism and being Catholic is more part of an identity than um, being Episcopalian or Unitarian or. Uh, Presbyterian or something. I think there's more of like a political outside influence mm-hmm. with within the Catholic religion than there is with Episcopalians, let's say. Yeah, definitely. Well, we, we will be watching to see what the bishops choose. But uh, like we said, it doesn't look like Joe is uh, particularly pressed. But we will. I will be back after the break with Amani Gandhi to talk about last week's SCOTUS decisions in terms of the ACA and same-sex couples and foster parents. We'll be right back. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. 
Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Hi guys, it's Amanda. I'm back and I am here today with Imani Gandhi, the senior editor for law and policy at Rewired News Group and co-host of the Boom Lawyered podcast. We are so thrilled to have you. We asked our audience uh, what SCOTUS watcher they wanted uh, to hear from and you were the overwhelming pick and I was thrilled that we were able to, uh, to get you. Well, that's really, really nice. I'm actually quite flattered and I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, Nina Totenberg was a, I will say, not so close second. Wow, Nina Toten. <laughs> That's okay. we love I, Nina Totenberg. I, I love Nina Totenberg. I'm <laughs> I'm very honored to have to have outranked Nina Totenberg <laughs> amongst your audience. Absolutely, yeah. So we're thrilled to have you this week when the subject matter is incredibly timely as we look towards the end of this Supreme Court term and process some pretty big decisions that we got on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So I want to start with Obamacare. I feel like for years, years, I've been hearing this word severability. Since 2018, I've been hearing about severability, and I should be worried about whether or not uh, the individual mandate with Obamacare can be severed from the entire law. I thought that's what we were going to have the court rule on. But is that what ended up happening on Thursday? No, actually, it's not. (laughs) Essentially, the court said, uh, Ken Paxton and friends don't (laughs) have standing, so please leave. And that was... That was basically it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I covered the, the oral arguments back in November and I remember live tweeting them and having this whole explanation about, well, this is what severability means and it's a legal concept. So let me explain it to you. You had this right. whole thing. And I was like, great. All the law nerds who listen to Boom Lawyer know what severability is now. And now the court doesn't even talk about it. Fantastic. <laughs> right. Exactly. So were, were you surprised by that outcome or were you anticipating that's where the justices might fall? Um, I after oral arguments, I had a feeling that they weren't going to kill the ACA in the days leading up to oral arguments. I was convinced that they were going to kill the ACA. Really? Um, yeah. And and I, there was just the, the tenor of the arguments led me to believe that they weren't quite ready to do that. Um, and to think about what what it would have meant if they actually had done that is really just alarming in terms of of you know, just the court as an institution, right? I mean, the court is already so partisan. And what's been really interesting about this term is that the court hasn't acted in the partisan way that a lot of us court watchers had expected it to. And so that has led to a lot of conservatives sort of slamming Democrats and liberals saying, oh, well, you know, as soon as Amy Coney Barrett was was confirmed to the bench, you all said that, you know, she was going to kill abortion. She was going to kill the ACA and she was going to say that LGBTQ people have no right to live anymore. And, you know, and yeah. then none of that happened. So 
They expect us to be disappointed. It's like, no, right. Fine. right. Like that's okay. But also can we talk about what it is that happened and how that reflects what may be happening in terms to come? Because that's, what's really interesting here. I mean, for example, you know, Brett Kavanaugh was super quiet last term and now Brett Kavanaugh is sort of emerging as the center of the court, which is mm. frightening. Number Ugh. one. And I number two, chills when you said Brett Kavanaugh center, I did too. I gave Ugh. myself chills. <laughs> So it's frightening that that is the case. And it's frightening that sort of the mainstream media seems to be accepting that that's okay, given what we know about Brett Kavanaugh's politics and given his behavior in the confirmation hearing. So Mm -hmm. I'm a little alarmed at the sort of willingness to, I guess, not dig deeper and not critically think about what this term means and what the issues that Mm -hmm. they addressed means, what issues they haven't addressed, what that means. I just feel like when it comes to the stuff that I report out on, I'm not comfortable with this new rubric and I'm certainly not feeling, you know, mollified by the fact that Amy Coney Barrett didn't murder the ACA um, or by the fact that, you know, we got a bad Fulton decision. Yes, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been, but it's going to get that bad. Right. I mean, it's not like this Fulton decision is going to exist in a silo. There are going to be more cases about pushing this. I mean, I'm probably all over the place right now, but no, there are no, going to great. be <laughs> but there are going to be more cases that are going to be pushing this this idea of religious freedom. And this idea of religious freedom is butting up against the idea of what I like to call it, which is religious imposition, which is what it really is. And so oh, yeah. you know, the question was answered on such a narrow basis based on the specifics of this contract in the city of Philadelphia. But again, like Masterpiece Cake Shop, we don't have a broad ruling that okay. says what it is LGBTQ citizens in this country can expect when it comes to anti-discrimination laws. Right. And that was that's sort of my chief question with regard to Fulton versus Pennsylvania, which was the case concerning whether the city of Philadelphia could bar a Catholic and interrupt you if I'm describing this incorrectly. Uh, But this case concerned whether the city of Philadelphia could bar a Catholic agency from screening potential foster parents uh, because that agency refused to screen same sex parents. What has changed? And the court ruled unanimously that in favor of the Catholic agency. How does that how does this change the status quo of where we are? I think people know about the cake shops, but I I feel like there's sort of a diffuse understanding of whether people can discriminate against against LGBTQ Americans. Uh, Where does this case leave us and and what concerns you about what comes next? It leaves us sort of at the opening of a really bad anti LGBTQ tunnel. Right. So this case was about, you know, the Catholic services, social services agency in Philadelphia refuses to place LGBTQ people or refuses to certify LGBTQ families as appropriate to um, welcome children into their home, to welcome these foster children into their home. Uh, the city of Philadelphia just has an anti-discrimination law that says you cannot do that. You have to certify everyone. But because there was a provision of the policy that allowed the person making that decision to make individualized exceptions, Uh the fact that there were individualized exceptions meant that the policy as a whole was not neutral and generally applicable. And those are sort of the buzzwords that matter when it comes to figuring out whether or not one whether or not a particular law is discriminatory. Does the law apply to everyone and does the law not target anyone? And um, and, and the real issue in the Fulton case is about a 1990 case called Employment Division versus Smith. And there are, you know, conservatives, Alito is just 
dying to overturn <laughs> this particular case and go back to a rubric wherein any particular law has to be analyzed under strict scrutiny. And if so, let me back up a little bit. So Employment Division versus Smith was about these Native American drug rehab counselors who wanted to continue to use peyote in in a ceremony that took place in their Native American church. And the and Oregon said the employment office of Oregon said, you can't do that because we have anti-drug laws and they're neutral and they're generally applicable. They're not targeting anyone. So, no, you can't do that. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, we agree with that. Generally applicable neutral laws must be followed by everyone. And the problem with that is that you get laws like you can't discriminate against LGBTQ people. That's a neutral law. That's a generally applicable law. But religious <laughs> the religious right is claiming that those types of laws infringe upon their religious freedom. And mm -hmm. so they want there to be some sort of religious exemption to these generally applicable neutral non-discrimination laws. And part of what Smith said is that if there is any, any rubric for exemptions within your generally applicable neutral law, then that renders that law not generally applicable and not neutral. And so that's what happened in the city of Philadelphia. They had... And uh, the commissioner was able to sort of make exemptions. And so the court said, well, that's not generally neutral. That's not generally applicable. And that's not neutral. So it's mm -hmm. a very narrow ruling about this okay. specific contract. And as, you know, Justice Alito sort of whined, he said, I don't remember what he said. He said it's something it was about the case being written on dissolving paper, which I mean, uh. is actually correct because all the city of Philadelphia <laughs> has to do is then remove that little that that little provision that allows for these exemptions and truly make the policy neutral across the board, which then means it can go ahead and deny CSS, the Catholic Social Services, this contract. So mm -hmm. Alito is right. But Alito is mad about it, whereas I'm not because I right. think that, you know, it is I think it's unfair. I think it's undignified. I think it's unconstitutional. It's against the law and it's not. And it's a human rights violation. Right. To say to a yeah. to say to a same sex couple, we don't think that you should be able to foster children. And not only that, we think that the government still has to give us taxpayer taxpayer dollars, even though even though you are not opening up your services to everyone. Right. And that's right. really and that's really what the establishment clause and the free exercise clause together are about, whether or not the government can impose religion and whether or not the government can infringe on religion, can can establish a religion, can impose on religion, can infringe on religion. Yeah. And right now we're in a place where there are a lot of Christian evangelicals who have sort of carved out this space for themselves where they think that they are entitled to special consideration because we know this sort of this this no establishment of religion and no imposition of religion doesn't apply to everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't apply to Muslims, for right. example. And so it's just this idea that that Christian evangelicals are in some sort of religious hierarchy that is above everyone else. And therefore, everyone else has to adhere to whatever religious beliefs they hold, even if those religious beliefs don't make any sense. And even yeah. if there's no textual basis in the Bible or any other religious text for that particular religious belief. It's yeah. As you can tell, I get very frustrated. Right, right. Talking yeah, about I mean, right before you came on for our other conversation, we were talking about, you know, the bishop saying Joe can't have communion oh, and how six, of, six of the justices are, are Catholic. But so it sounds like the fact that this Philadelphia, that Philadelphia allowed exemptions for others. But what 
it sounds like the difference is this is this is an exemption like by allowing these groups an exemption, they are allowing members of their community to be stigmatized and Absolutely. cause harm. Absolutely. Um, the court just, because I think I heard during oral arguments, I heard on a podcast that Brett Kavanaugh was like, I appreciate, I appreciate that there's a, like a stigmatic impact here. I was like, do you, Brett? Do you do really? You appreciate <laughs> it? I don't think you do. Yeah. I mean, and that's what, you know, Jessica Mason Piccolo, my co-host of Boom Lawyer and I always joke about how we're mad at Tony Kennedy. We're really mad at Anthony Kennedy for retiring <laughs> when he did and sort of ushering in the era of Brett, Brett Kavanaugh, right? Because Kennedy used to be the swing justice. Now Kavanaugh is. But <sighs> Kennedy had a real sort of affinity for LGBTQ people and LGBTQ rights, not enough so that he was willing to sort of label them a protected class under the Equal Protection Clause, but enough to where he spoke a lot about the dignity of LGBTQ people and the stigma that LGBTQ people face in, you know, for example, in the Obergefell decision, which mm -hmm. was the same sex marriage decision. You know, he has this whole dignity jurisprudence that he really likes to talk about. And so when you think about what it says to a gay couple that they are not certified or allowed to even be considered considered to to host a foster child in their home. Not only is that stigmatizing to the gay couple, it's really harmful to the kids, yes. to the foster kids. And, you know, last fall, I spoke with a couple of people, a couple of foster parents, um, not not in the Fulton County case, but there was sort of a companion case out of South Carolina, Miracle Hills. There's this mm -hmm. Miracle Hills ministry that does the same thing. They won't place they won't place um, children with gay couples. They won't even place children with non-Christian couples. Jesus. So if you're Jewish or Muslim or anything else, no kids for you, right? You're not even, it's mm -hmm. like, Jess actually referred to it as rigging the market for foster kids, <laughs> oh, which is kind yeah. of a weird way to put it, but it's absolutely accurate. And so if you think about the fact that there are LGBTQ kids out there who are now going to be forced to live with Christian evangelicals who may not believe quote unquote, believe in their lifestyle as if mm -hmm. you can believe in the humanity of another right. person. But that's another conversation. So that is harming children. Mm -hmm. It's harming kids who might otherwise be able to be placed in an LGBTQ friendly home and begin to explore their identity and what it means to be gay if they are mm -hmm. or even if they're not to understand what it means to be accepting and tolerant of, right, of LGBTQ right. people instead of yeah. living in a family of intolerant people. And so yeah. it's so harmful across the board. And really what I find distressing, both in this case and in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, is the willingness of the Supreme Court to sort of protect the whatever feelings or, or feelings of persecution yeah. that evangelicals have because someone says to them, by refusing to bake a cake or to place a foster kid in, a, in an LGBTQ home, you're being a bigot yeah. and they don't like being called bigots. And so they get really upset by being called bigots. And then they mm -hmm. go and complain to the court that, you know, this district court over here called me a bigot or the Colorado Civil Commission, Civil Rights Commission said that religion had been used to 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 foment bigotry, which it has. Mm -hmm. But they don't want right. to hear that because it makes the religious right people sad. And so we have right. to protect their feelings instead of the human and civil rights of LGBTQ people. Yeah, that's what I find myself asking all the time is that like, why does why is I guess this is the question is why does religious liberty trump like just equal rights of all people? They weren't meant to like the founding yeah. fathers did not mean for the government to be involved in the establishment of religion. But because of prior cases, there's a case called Trinity Lutheran, where there was a question about whether or not government funds could be could be used for religious schools to put 
I think like tire swings on a playground or something, you know, but in any respect, if you are funneling government funds into a religious institution that does not allow everyone to participate, that's the establishment of religion in some small sense. And Mm -hmm. the Constitution forbids that, or at least it used to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Seems yeah. like it doesn't anymore. <laughs> right. So what does this set any precedent in terms of what city services can be denied to LGBTQ Americans? I mean, what kind of people who watched that decision and thought, OK, I have the green light to do X? Oh, I mean, I think people have been feeling that way since, you know, Kim Davis refused to hand out marriage licenses right. to gay couples after Obergefell. Right. Religious people will always find some way of turning themselves into victims, really, when when they are the ones that are victimizing other people. Mm -hmm. And um, what it means is that we still haven't really gotten a ruling on whether or not it is absolutely okay to discriminate against LGBTQ people. We we didn't get that that sort of solid ruling in Masterpiece Cake Shop. We didn't get that ruling in Fulton in Fulton County or Fulton v. City of Philadelphia. So that case is still to come. But because of the ways in which the court is setting up this idea that religious people are entitled to exemptions, I mean, and this sort of philosophy philosophy dates back almost a decade, right? When the first birth control benefit cases, Mm -hmm. the contraception mandate cases Mm -hmm. were coming about where these these for-profit organizations were saying that we don't believe in birth control. Not only do we not believe in birth control, we believe that birth control is an abortifacient. We believe that birth control causes abortions even though it doesn't. But but just the very fact that they believe that it does, it means that the court is going to deem that a, quote, sincerely held religious belief Mm -hmm. that somehow the rest of us have to wrestle with, even though it's anti-scientific. So we're just in a place where evangelicals can say they believe anything or believe anything, even if there's no basis for that belief. And then courts are supposed to take that belief on faith as just a held belief as opposed to a sincerely held belief. Yeah. How can you sincerely believe something that's not true mm-hmm. or I mean, put it to put it a different way? How can you require a court to adhere to a sincerely held belief that's not true, yeah. especially when that sincerely held belief infringes on the rights of other people yeah, they, who do yeah. not hold that belief? They sincerely some of them sincerely believe Donald Trump won the election. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if they go to court and. If, but that's even a, that's like a ridiculous example. Once right? again, in law school, go home. Yeah. In law school, we talk about slippery slopes. Right. And honestly, that could be a slippery slope from these types of from these types yeah, of decisions. Really? If the evangelicals turn this insurrection, this belief in Donald Trump, if they make it rise to the level of religious belief, then do we have to accept the religious belief that Donald Trump won the election? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The, uh, hopefully the answer to that question is no, but we're getting really right. close to the point where religious beliefs can trump anything logic Mm. common sense human rights civil rights it doesn't matter yeah in the market for investment worthy bags watches and fine jewelry rebag is the answer rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity use rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands including louis vuitton chanel and cartier head to rebag.com to get five percent off your first purchase with code rebag new shop today at rebag.com that's r-e-b-a-g.com and use promo code rebag new for five percent off your first purchase so you brought up reproductive rights which i think is a good place to pivot on the role of legislation. I mean, what could an Equality Act do to protect these rights uh, from further litigation in the courts? What could, you know, the Women's Health Protection Act, which would uh, 
enshrine abortion rights nationally. I mean, is it as simple as these going it through Congress and we don't have to deal with this anymore? I mean, what does that path look like? Yeah, I mean, what what it would do is it would federalize a lot of this stuff and take that power from the states. So right now what's happening is, you know, we just have a patchwork of laws with respect to um, treating LGBTQ people equally and with dignity. So in some states, the anti-discrimination laws are there. They're on the books. And, you, and that's it. You can't discriminate against LGBTQ people. In other states, they have anti-discrimination um, rules on the laws on the books. But there's a you know, maybe there's a, a, a deep religious community. Maybe the state's mm-hmm. a red state. And so they are going to accept this sort of call for religious exemptions. I feel like every couple of years, a bunch of states pass abortion laws, which the Supreme Court agreed to hear next year. And we all get very scared. But then I always hear, well, there's a there's a bill. Can we just pass a bill? Is it as simple as that? Well, I mean, it's it's as simple as that, except for the fact that we still have the Supreme Court to deal with. I mean, you know, we could federalize all kinds of things. But if we have this court right now, this partisan six, three court, you know, a federalized abortion bill could get up to the court and then they could okay. decide, no, there's not a, there's actually not a right to privacy in the Got Constitution. It. And there's actually not a right to, you know, but certainly federalizing it and 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 sort of making the court be that nakedly partisan will would actually oh. say a lot about the, the state of the law in this country. But that's cold comfort to the people whose rights are going to be taken away as we sort of wrestle with that sort of existential philosophical question. Um, yeah. What I would love to see. Um, and you know, and and the problem with all of the things that I report about and all of the things that I am interested in when it comes to SCOTUS is, is SCOTUS, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, for example, you know, we need a voting rights act. We need to restore voting rights to black people, to Brown people, to, to disenfranchised people. Any bill that does that still has to be looked at by the Supreme Court. And so the Supreme Court could look at this bill and say, no, we don't like this. We're still going to go with the whole Shelby v. Holder idea that racism is dead and that everything is fine and that the states are not the states aren't really trying to disenfranchise black and brown voters. They're just trying to win. And if winning means that black and brown voters can't vote, well, is that really racism or discriminatory or is that just like a good winning attitude? Yeah. And they already said that before before Kavanaugh and and all these guys were on the court. Right. And so the only I mean, when it comes to voting rights, the only thing that we can hope for is, you know, sort of a a legacy look at what happened immediately after Shelby County v. Holder, Mm -hmm. which is states like Texas, North Carolina running directly into court to pass very oppressive voting rights laws to to pass laws that, you know, one of the, the judges in Texas said was strategic. It was either Texas or North Carolina. One of the district court judges said that the law was strategically targeting black and brown voters. Yeah. How is that not a violation of whatever remains of the Voting Rights Act? How is that OK? And 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 what right. we truly need is another preclearance formula. We need to you know, because that's what Shelby V. Holder was about, mm-hmm. this idea that the preclearance formula which was sort of the algorithm that determined which municipalities or cities or states were so steeped in Jim Crow racism and disenfranchisement that any time that they are going to pass a law or change their election laws, they need to run it by the DOJ first. Yeah, that needs to happen. I mean, that obviously needs to happen. It seems like they gave us seven years of material to figure out a new formula. They truly have. And this year alone, I mean, all of these states that in this post-insurrection world are now trying to strip Democrats of the ability to 
to sort of control the election laws and states that they've been elected to do that. Right. They're giving Republicans the authority to just overturn whatever it is Democrats say is the is is the policy simply because they don't think that any time a Democrat wins anything, it's legitimate. That's right. really what it boils down to. So federalizing it would certainly help passing, a, you know, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act or H.R. One which is probably dead because of Manchin, but yeah. it will certainly help. But those still have to go through the Supreme Court. And okay. so unless we unpack the Supreme Court, I'm not sure anything's ever going to get done. And it's just right. really it's it's frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I've heard like, you know, OK, falling back on because originally Joe Manchin said, I like the For the People Act. Lisa Murkowski does, too. OK, that's one Republican. But like you said that, I mean, the Supreme Court struck that down before they will. Again, we need H.R. One. But it sounds like even H.R. One would be vulnerable to the courts deciding, no, you can't do this. I. We don't have a lot of people who are friendly to voting rights on the court. Right yeah. Now. I mean, I would hope I would hope that Roberts, who wrote the opinion in Shelby v. Holder, could take a look at what's gone on yeah. with voting rights since then and, and think, OK, maybe I made a mistake. Yeah. Like, I, you know, Roberts is conservative, right. but I still have sort of hopes for him as like one of the guys, one of the conservatives who actually cares about the institution of the court, who actually cares yeah. about the legacy of the court. And Jess, Jessica Mason Pico, thinks that he's so frustrated with it that he's going to retire before the court really goes it's mm-hmm. up. <laughs> yeah, it's up. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but, you know, before the court really becomes so partisan that it is irrevocably so mm-hmm. Roberts might just bail so that he doesn't have to be part of the court that makes that hard right turn. Right. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But there's certainly a lot of materials in the last decade, last mm-hmm. well, seven years, right? Seven years to suggest that we something needs to be done. Yeah. Otherwise, Democrats may never, ever win another election again. Right, exactly. Speaking of justices bailing, Amani, do you plan on working at age 82? I don't plan on working at age 82. I so why really is Stephen Breyer <laughs> working at age Stephen at age, at age 82? Stephen Breyer, which is age 82, <laughs> yeah, exactly. right? <laughs> um, you know, that's a good question. I think maybe he might be waiting for the Mississippi case because oh, wow. he did write the opinions in um, the last two big abortion cases that came up um, in Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt back in 2016, which was was struck down all of those gnarly Texas abortion restrictions. Mm-hmm. And then in June, Medical Services, which struck down Louisiana's admitting privileges law, which was based on some of those gnarly Texas abortion restrictions. He wrote both of those cases, um, the opinions in both of those cases. So it may be that he wants to stick around. Yeah to be a part of the the deliberations in Mississippi Mm. and I in the Mississippi case. And I think given the way that the cases have gone this term, I think I would like him to retire. But I think that he was able well, he and Roberts were able to cobble together Mm. this very narrow ruling on Fulton. And so I think to the extent that he thinks that he will be able to continue to do that and to sort of work with people, work with conservatives who may not be willing to go super hard right just yet. Mm -hmm. Maybe he thinks. Yeah. And I hate to be sexist about it, but maybe he thinks as the remaining male liberal on the court that he has a better chance of Mm -hmm. interacting, of interfacing with these hard right justices than Elena Kagan or Sonia Sotomayor. That's pure speculation. I don't know. But but certainly, certainly the man needs to go. I mean, he's he's to start thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, if if the reason he's staying is just because it's fun for him, then. uh, But I mean, what is the real? I mean, so the biggest risk is what a Democratic senator from a state with a Republican governor 
dies, right? Like what, what's people seem to be urging Breyer because there is a chance that something could happen where the Senate loses its extremely slim majority even before 2022 when the Senate does look good for Democrats. But I'm seeing more urgency in the past couple of days. I'm not exactly sure why, but I'm seeing it. Yeah, I think I mean, I know I personally have been feeling very sort of just not particularly thrilled with the way Democrats are doing things. And that may yeah. be because they're doing things behind the scenes that haven't been publicized in terms of mainstream media. I don't know. But I feel like there just isn't enough urgency yeah, um, no. when it comes to voting rights, when it comes to getting things done that need to get done. And when it comes to doing things that are going to make Democrats show up in 2022, because we all know that that the, the midterms tend to flip. Right. And I'm not I haven't looked at an electoral map. I'm really trying to avoid thinking yeah. about midterms this close after <laughs> oh, a presidential election. Absolutely. But I'm really, really concerned that things like flubbing the stimulus and some of these other, you know, flubbing the student loan um, uh Deferment. Relief, I, yeah. Yeah. Relief. Thank you. That's what I'm looking for. I am concerned that those flubs are going to hurt Democrats chances. Mm -hmm. And I'm concerned. And, you know, and I know that Joe Manchin is really gumming up the works. But like, can someone put him in a headlock yeah. or give him a noogie or like an atomic right. wedgie or something? Like, I feel like there's got to I be think some there's way some room to muscle him. Oh, somebody's oh, got to. There has to be. And right. I don't know what he we can offer. He just gets so upset, like whenever anybody preempts him. Like, remember those couple of times Kamala, the VP says anything? He's like, boo hoo. But the man's got it. He can't be that fragile. Right. There's got to be. Give him a coal mine. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what he needs Find to be out given. exactly what he wants and then just give it to him. And what's really frustrating to me about people, you know, cinema and mansion being unwilling to overturn the filibuster is that if they can't get the Voting Rights Act passed, that means black and brown voters aren't going to be yeah. able to vote, which means Democrats aren't going to be in the majority, which means they lose power. So I, right. under, I, I fundamentally don't understand what it is that they're doing. I know that a lot of people think Manchin's going to become a Republican. But as a Republican, he's a nobody. As right. He's the most powerful Democrat in the country right, right now. So I don't see that as being and then a by real his logic. It would be exactly the same because nothing would be bipartisan. He's functioning. Right. right. And as I a Republican. Yeah. Right. And but I don't I know where he, he right. gets this idea that, you know, there is going to be any bipartisanship. And I think the fact that he came out and said, oh, I'm for these particular voting rights provisions. And all the Republicans were like, no. I nope, know. Right. Not going to happen. I know. So maybe maybe Joe <laughs> is right. trying to realize that there's no bar bipartisanship to be had. Right. And to just start working with Democrats to do whatever right. it is you want to do. Abrams on voting was rights. like, sure, Joe. Sure. Right. We'll right. do if it. You want to do it? Let's do it. But nobody on the other side. Bipartisan yeah. nonsense. because It's not happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Sounds good. Thank you so much for your time, Imani. Where can people hear more from you on this? And what are you going to be covering on Boom Lawyered uh, in the next couple of weeks? Oh, yeah. I mean, for the next year, Jessica year. and I are going to be all over the Jackson Women's Health Organization, yes. the Mississippi case, like like white and brown yes. on rice. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Perfect. I mean, definitely, uh, you know, I would encourage your listeners to listen to Boom Lawyer, to follow us over at Rewire News Group, to follow us on Twitter. We're breaking a lot of news on Twitter yeah. and Instagram now. Just that's the sort of age that we live in. And when you're a small little independent media organization that we are. Um, yeah. And yeah. You know, and when it comes to just trying to understand legal concepts, understand what's going on, how your rights are being won or lost at the court, there's really no one better to follow besides me and Jess. So, yeah, exactly. Because like you said, it's like we can talk about legislation all we want, but it's like it still starts. It still ends up 
at this it all place. ends up at the Supreme Court and we got to unpack that court. And in yep. order to do that, we got to get rid of the filibuster. So yep. exactly. Sounds good. Well, in there, thank you so much. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betcha Sub Podcast. The Betcha Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.